I want to welcome you again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are uh, really glad that you're here with us this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. Um, I, I'd love to, to meet you. I have, I have not had a chance to meet you before, so if you stick around, if you have time to stick around, I would love to meet you face to face. We are continuing on in this little two-week series we're doing on biblical lament, um, what we're calling How Long Will God, How to Learning to Lament with Biblical Hope. How do we do that? The second of two weeks. If you did not get a chance to listen to last week, it is a two-part series, so I encourage you to, to go back and listen to that. Today will make a little bit more sense, probably, if you have that in the background, kind of coming in um, to this sermon or being able to think back on this sermon after um, today. Again, this will be the last week here. Next week, we have um, our baptism service, which is the, the, the highlight of, of most people's years as far as services go. Um, I don't preach. Um, we just let everybody's stories preach, right? Wow, that was... Um, wow, I'm hum, humble. I'm humbled. Um, and, um, and I'm going to lament that later. Um, Next week, we'll have a lot of sermons being preached, though, but through people's stories and people's lives. It's an incredible, um, just joy-filled week. It's a great Sunday to invite friends, invite family. Um, and again, is, it is a, is a highlight for most people um, here at Providence Road. So please come back next week. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into today's text. Father, we're thankful once again for your word. As we sit under your word this morning, as we listen to your word and try to grasp your word, I pray that we truly believe that it, it is your word, that it's inspired by your spirit. And it has power. It can change us. It's not merely words on a page or some good teaching. This is how you're revealing yourself to the world. And we're thankful for that. And so I pray today as we look at it and, and read it that you would um, challenge those who need to be challenged that you would comfort those who need to be comforted. And that you, would all, that you would change us as a result of sitting under your word this morning. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Last week, I shared at the beginning of the sermon um, kind of this Nicole and I's story about not being able to experience the gift of biological children that God gives. We, which I mentioned the, the, the much lamenting and pain that we've dealt with through uh, miscarriages, failed fertility treatments, um, hundreds of negative pregnancy tests, and all those things brought and continue to do uh, bring uh, somewhat of deep pain into our lives. Now, as time has passed, God has healed us in a lot of ways. He's still healing us in those ways. Um, but we haven't always experienced this healing um, when, when, through other people uh, specifically. It's, it's, it hasn't been helpful when people have said things to us like, oh, miscarriages are more common than you think. I'm sure you'll get pregnant again. You've heard that. Um, you know the story of Abraham and Sarah. They were really old when they had their first child. Maybe that's your story as well. Yes, we know that story, and no, that is not helpful. <laughs> or maybe some of you in your pain, in your own experiences, have heard things like maybe upon losing a job. You know, you're such a talented person, I'm sure you'll get another job quickly. Or maybe you've lost a loved one, and right after you lose that loved one, someone's really quick to say, kind of jumping the gun on the, well, at least they're in a better place now. 
or at least they're not in pain anymore. Maybe true statements, but maybe ill-timed if it's too soon. Maybe you've had someone break up with you, and you've had a well-meaning friend say, oh, there's other, there's other guys out there. Don't worry about it. Or maybe, maybe she just wasn't the one, whatever that means, right? The one, right? Maybe you're the one that shouldn't be speaking to me right now, so please <laughs> leave me alone. Uh, all kidding aside, these are scenarios. Most of these scenarios, and as we've experienced these things as well, these are from well-meaning people that are trying to love us. The intention is good, but in that moment, it did not help in bringing God's healing mercy into our lives. It didn't. Now, we don't lament well. We mentioned that last week. We don't lament well. And I don't think we're great at helping others who are in the middle of lamenting as well. So we kind of have a problem on both ends. When we're lamenting ourselves, I mentioned it last week, but we just kind of want to binge Netflix, eat our emotions away, or kind of distract ourselves with a myriad of other options. Or when someone is lamenting and they're in our presence, we just feel this over, over sense of, like, we have to say something. Or we have to say something to make things better, less, less, uh, the, uh, relieve the discomfort, and maybe not say what is going to actually help them in the healing process. So we have work to do in this area of speaking this, this language of biblical lament. But the good news is, is one, the Bible has a whole book that I encourage you to read on this called Lamentations. It's a whole book on lament. Not a lot of good news in that book. There's a few verses in it that are good, but it's just a book about lamenting, about being sad, about being sorry. And Lamentations was actually written to be read, to be sung, to be prayed through when God's people got together um, in the context of a worship service to ask God's forgiveness. So Lamentations is actually written to be done in community together. And today we're going to look at another place of scripture where the Apostle Paul, arguably, arguably the greatest leader in the history of the church outside of Jesus, of course, who faced immense suffering, had every reason in the world to lament. His opponents had questioned his motives. They questioned his courage. They had doubted that he could be an apostle because the fact that he did suffer. They looked at his life and said, how could someone have the hand of God upon him? How could someone be anointed and blessed by God when he's suffering so much? And some would still say or kind of buy into this theology today, that if you are suffering, you must be, you must be walking in disobedience or faithlessness, which is complete and total garbage. It doesn't always connect it to our um, faithlessness. When we look at Paul's story, we really see um, three, in my opinion, you see three main elements of lamenting well together. There's probably more, but we're going to focus on three today. He's writing to the church in Corinth. It's his second letter that we have in the scriptures of his writings to Corinth, and he starts in verse 3. Listen to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. The first thing, right out of the gate in this letter, Paul says, God has comforted me. He comforts those who are afflicted. It's a promise. He starts his letter off that way. It's central in what Paul is going to say in the rest of this letter. To say it another way, God moves towards us in our affliction. He delights in that. 
He moves towards us. He wants to heal us in our affliction. We'll kind of unpack more about how that works towards the end of our time today. So why does God comfort us in our affliction? Listen to the continuation of verse 4. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul's simply saying here that he comforts us in our affliction so that we may comfort others. The second element of lamenting well together is comforting one another in our afflictions, being known and knowing others in their afflictions. And Paul here connects his sufferings to the sufferings of the Corinthian church who he's writing to. Look at verse 6. It's kind of odd the way he does this, but it's kind of the mystery of our unity. Uh, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. When he says we here, he's talking about himself and his, his band of missionaries who are planting churches and traveling around. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And Paul is a man who knows pain and the meant. But notice here, he's, he's, he's connecting, he's drawing upon this theological idea of the union with Christ, the fact that we are united with Christ as brothers and sisters, those who have faith in Jesus are united to Jesus, and because of that union, we are now united to one another in a spiritual way in unity as we do life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's just reiterating that here. We share in our sufferings. We share in our comforts. We want to help one another and love one another in that way. Look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's strong. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And Paul is tapping in here to the suffering. He's trying to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit on why some of this may be happening to him. And it's because that the suffering was so that he could rely on the comfort of God and not look to comfort anywhere else, he, that, that God would draw him to himself in his suffering and through his suffering. Later on in the book, Paul writes about getting 39 lashes, three beatings with rods, one stoning, three shipwrecks, danger from all kinds of people, hunger, exposure to the freezing cold elements, uh, anxiety over the churches that he loved and he was trying to shepherd in the midst of his travels. And he continues to see the purposes of God in his suffering. Chapter 4, that, that, that second passage that Kevin read. But we, are, we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure meaning the gospel, Christ's resurrection in us, the Holy Spirit, all of that is the treasure in jars of clay. It's our bodies. Jars of clay were uh, very unimpressive containers back in that day. They were kind of ugly, they were rough, they were chipped. It wasn't about the container for Paul, it's about what's inside. That's why he uses this imagery of jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We don't get the glory because we don't have the power. It's God's power in us that's working through us as he's living and doing all the things that Paul did. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. Listen to this lament here. But not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Paul kind of welcomed it there. So that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This is key for how we treat one another. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Once again, Paul taps into this mystery of our unity that as he's going about and he's, he's suffering, he's taking on and just remembering how that death is working in him, it actually uh, serves as a, as a blessing, as giving life to the people he's ministering to. And the same thing is available to us. To lament together, we must know one another and be known, especially in our pain, especially in our pain. The third thing we must do to lament together is to know how to lovingly respond when others are lamenting. Listen to Paul even a few further chapters down in his letter. In in chapter 7, he says this. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, there it is again, comforted us, by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but also in the comfort with which he comforted, was comforted by you, talking to the Corinthians, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. So it's a, the physical presence of a human being is what Paul highlights here. The coming of his buddy, Titus. Not he, Titus didn't send a letter. Titus didn't send someone with a message. Titus actually came, and Paul was saying, it was his physical presence presence that meant something to me. He was there with me. He helped me. And then he goes even further that Titus actually brought a message from the Corinthians about how well that Titus had been treated by them, which made Paul rejoice all the more. So it's kind of a double blessing that Paul receives by Titus coming and just being with him. God has told us from the beginning that it is not good for man to be alone, from the beginning of creation. And this is if everything is okay, right? Like in a normal situation, it's not good for man to be alone. How much more can we say that it is not good for us to be alone when we are suffering, when we're lamenting? Paul exhorts in in all of his letters to the churches, he has this place usually towards the end of his letter where he's giving commands to the churches. And he uses this phrase in almost every letter that's bear with one another. To bear bear with one another, bear each other's burdens. And that that idea of bear just kind of, you you can imagine the imagery, like you're carrying something on your back and it's about to crush you. The weight of it's about to crush you and to bear with one another is people coming up under that burden and lifting the pressure off of you enough to be able to carry that burden with you to wherever that burden needs to go. There's just something powerful about people getting together when we connect with other people and realize that that struggle that we have is one real it's not in our heads. It's not because we're, we're like broken beyond repair, right? It's like, oh, this is, this is real life. Like I'm not imagining this struggle. And then two, that, that, there was, that, that, that the struggle or the pain is common. It's, I'm, I'm not the only one um, facing this. Those of you who probably had that thought when you meet someone who has the same story as you or struggling with the same thing as you and you thought it, maybe it doesn't come out of your mouth, but you're saying, wow. There's someone else that I can relate to. There's someone else that knows me. There's someone else that I can say these things and they know exactly what I mean when I say them. That's why recovery groups inside the church and outside the church have a successful track record. 
It's because it's human beings getting together face-to-face, letting their guard down in transparency, and allowing that healing to take place in those contexts. And the church beyond all places should, should be that. Those other things are good, but the church should be central in this process of brothers and sisters getting together, loving one another well, especially in our pain and as we, as we lament and as God takes us through the process of healing. We are not alone in our struggles. We're not alone. Jesus sweat drops of blood. Jeremiah and Job cursed the day that they were born. Elijah and Jonah Ask God to take their life. Just end it, God. I'm tired of this. Just take, take me, God. That was their request. King David, my soul is downcast. Plenty of psalms. We hear that from David. Jesus was given the title by others as the man of sorrows. How often people say to you, they're a, man, they're, they're a person of sorrows because, because maybe you've confided in them in your lament or in your pain. They feel, they, they have compassion with you in your sorrows. One thing I want us to understand that sadness is a healthy emotion given to us by God. It's not, it's not means we're lacking something. We're not incomplete because we have this sadness. You think of Jesus and Lazarus, Jesus weeping openly in front of people to see. That's how we have it recorded, right? Because Jesus wept in front of someone enough to say, oh, he wept. Because his buddy Lazarus was dead, he weeps. If Jesus felt the pain of sadness, and he's perfect, he's our model and our example, we should lean into our sadness as well. And I'll say this, and I, and I would say from experience, I think this is right, that, um, that greater maturity in the Christian faith will lead to greater sadness, at least expressively sadness, like being okay with tears of pain, tears of sadness. That's a sign of maturity. Men especially hear that from me, okay? Especially men, men and women, but I think men, we, we got to be okay with this. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27. 25 says that there may be no division in the body. Again, Paul, Paul in a different letter to 1 Corinthians, talking about how the body fits together here. We've, we've heard this, we've preached on this passage as well. Uh, there may be no, no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That idea of bearing with one another in our burdens. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. There's that unity piece again, that spiritual unity we have. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And it's clear in scripture that we're to come alongside one another in our pain as we lament. But like we've seen, this is easier said than done. It's easier said than done. How do we become the kind of people who let others in to our pain, rather, retreat, rather than retreating into our pain or kind of retreating from the pain and from others because we don't want to deal with it? How do we become that kind of person? How do we come alongside someone who is in incredible pain? How can we be a blessing and not a hindrance in those moments? What do we say? Can we say too much? What should we do? Should we wait or should we act now or do we need somebody need space? Again, this is hard. These are difficult things to try to figure out. But before we get to the how, which we will hear in a second, and some application, we need to become the kind of people who, inside who, who can love one another well and be loved by others. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Again, one of those, the first element we looked at is God comforts the broken. God comforts those 
who are afflicted. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. And then again, verse 7, chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. Not God is doing something in us when we're suffering. Verse 11, that same chapter. For we who live are always being give, given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that, this is important, the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's like really another way to say sanctification, that Jesus' life would continue to be manifested in our body that we've continued to grow into this idea that we're new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. A part of growing up into that is allowing for the, the, the Jesus' death to take hold in us, but also the life of Jesus. And then verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. And then further down in that chapter, we haven't read it yet, but he says, this is kind of a hope-filled uh, part of the chapter, so we do not lose heart, Paul says. Though our outer self is wasting away, those of you who are my age, that should not be a shock. Like daily, it's like, when, God? Like, why? Every day, something, a reminder of how I am wasting away. My body is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Those are hurting Christ. We're growing up into Christ, even though our bodies are wasting away. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, this thing we're going through, this thing we're kind of suffering in. Now, Paul's looking back, so we may not feel this in the moment. If you're suffering here today, you may not be able to, to say this with Paul and really mean it. But Paul's looking back, and he's kind of preaching to himself. But this is reality. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're here today and gone tomorrow. They're a mist, in other words. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And it's good news for us who are in pain. Like pain, we can see it, we can feel it, we maybe even think it's going to go on forever, but our pain will end. It may not be in this life. I hope it is, but it may not be. But it will for sure be in the next life if you are a follower of Jesus and you're in Christ. The pain will end. What is seen as temporary what is unseen, our salvation, the fact that we'll have glorified bodies, we'll get to live in the new heavens and new earth. Those things are unseen for the most part right now, but Paul is counting on those things to give him hope. We have to remember that Jesus, yes, is our Savior, but he's also our example and someone who knows grief, knows pain. Isaiah 53, 5, speaking of Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, pain, afflictions, with his wounds, we are healed. So yes, Jesus is our Savior, and, and, and that, that, that gives us new life, <clears throat> gives us new motivations, it gives us a new identity to be able to be people who <clears throat> suffer well and love those who are suffering well. But don't miss, on, miss out on the fact that Jesus experienced all of this. He experienced it. He felt the weight of pain, the, the, the worst possible pain and affliction you could possibly face because he, he, the Father turned his back away from Jesus. Jesus is our Savior and is also someone who knows pain and grief. I asked this question last week. I'll ask it again. If you are in this room and you don't know Jesus, what do you do with your pain? Where do you go? What do you do? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I know the things when I try outside of Jesus, they, they may work for a short period of time. 
but it's, it's like a drug, right? Like you, you need more of it. Like it may work temporary, but it's not playing the long game. There's no, there's no sustaining long-term hope in the things that the world has to offer for our pain. The next diet, the next pill, the next self-help book, the next tool to get over our pain or a kind of meditation. Fill in the blank, maybe temporary, maybe things that are wise to do in, in combination with our faith. There's only one who has conquered death, and it's Jesus. He is the one that gives us hope. So if that describes you today, I would encourage you to, be, to humble yourselves and respond to his grace. The grace that is a free gift to sinners, to the broken, to the weary. Come to him. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Many, many stories that I hear, pain is the thing that brought them to hum, hum, humble themselves and say, Jesus, I need you. I've tried everything to deal with the pain and nothing is working Jesus, you must be it. If that's you today, respond to him. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to somebody around you. Tell somebody that you want to respond to his grace today. For the rest of us in this room, we have an opportunity to show the world what this pain, what, what, what lamenting well looks like to a watching world. Matthew 5, 3 and 4, this is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How does the world see this sermon lived out if we're not willing to open ourselves up as we suffer, as we lament to those around us to actually see what it looks like for the poor in spirit to be blessed, for those who mourn to be blessed? We live our faith out amongst others so that people will see it. I love Eugene Peterson's quote here about, this is for all of us, I believe, on kind of how it relates to the context we live in in, in uh, Lament. One reason why people are uncomfortable with tears in the sight of suffering is that it is a blasphemous assault on their precariously maintained American spirituality of the pursuit of happiness. Get him, Eugene. They want to avoid, avoid evidence that things are not right with the world as it is, without Jesus without love, without faith. It is a lot easier to keep the American faith if they don't have to look into the face of suffering. So learning the language of lament is not only necessary to restore Christian dignity to suffering, repentance, and death, it is necessary to provide a Christian witness to a world that has no language for and is therefore oblivious to the glories of wilderness and the cross. At the beginning of our time today, I didn't share with you the other side of our story. The part of our story of how much we've been loved and cared for by our family. And more specifically, our church family. Our immediate family as well, but our church family. Providence Road. Two moments in particular stand out in this journey that I spoke of. The first, we were in Dallas getting a routine ultrasound done by our, our, our doctor down there. And when we found out our Little boy no longer had a heartbeat. Awaiting for us after our painful three-hour drive home were flowers, food, cards, notes, and amongst other things on our porch at our house, left by members of the church in our gospel community. And it was beautiful because of the sensitivity, right? We, we wouldn't have wanted people to probably be there at the house in such a raw moment and our community knew that. 
They had stuff waiting there for us. They showed up without, in, in an appropriate way in that time. And it was so meaningful. It was so helpful for Nicole and I to get to come home and just feel we're not alone. People that are praying for us. There are people that are thinking about us. There are people that are locking arms. Like the, the thing that, we're, that is crushing us right now, people are lifting it off of us enough where, we're, where we can get through this. We can get through this. We can press forward in our pain, and it was painful. And then kind of the second part to that story is the same year, a few months later, 2015 was quite a roller coaster. We found out at 9 a.m. on October 30th, 2015, a baby boy had been born at Norman Regional Hospital. And we were at the hospital by noon and were at the hospital for the next 48 hours with this boy who would become our son, Jax. And we'd started the process of adoption a few months earlier, but we were told that it'd be a couple of, months, a couple of years, I should say, before we would be able to adopt. So when we received the call about Jax, we had nothing, no crib, no diapers, clothes, formula, anything you need to keep a human alive. We had nothing. A little human. We were, we were thriving. Um, <laughs> once the news spread about Jax, we walked into our house. Um, we were at the hospital for, for a couple of days, really didn't come home at all. When we walked into our house 48 hours later, um, there was a put-together crib, thousands of diapers, piles of clothes, boxes of formula, and everything else we would need to care for a newborn. See, the beauty of like, getting to walk through these things with each other, we get to see the, the really low lows, and we get to be a part of um, experiencing highs. Now, not all kind of things happen this quickly from like May to October that we got to experience that year, but we get to experience other highs with the people that we mourn with. The people that we're, that we're celebrating with now, there's going to be lows in life as well. And this is part of being the body, being the church together. We must learn the language of lament to come alongside each other in our pain. We must become more familiar with, with pain. Like I said last week, it is inevitable. It is coming for us all. No matter what, no matter who you are, pain will come. And often deep pain will come eventually at some point in your life. Now, what are some helpful suggestions? There's a, a podcast that I listened to, and there's one particular episode. Um, this this uh, author, pastor's name is, his name is Steve Cuss, and I listened to his podcast, and he was talking about this, this podcast on kind of uh, um, lamenting and how to he- help each other heal and work through things. And he had this, this, this uh, story that he told where him and his wife were going somewhere, uh, well, actually going to visit some friends, and, and they were driving there, and they were going to stay like a week with their friends. Their friends had this like mother-in-law suite. They were going to stay there and just hang out and have fun. Well, on the way there, the, the, the wife of the family they were going to calls and said her, her husband just died of a, of, of a massive heart attack. And so they're like, okay, this, this guy, we're turning around and we're heading back home because y'all are having, and she says, no, 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 no. I want you to come and I want you to stay where you're planning on staying. It's all fixed up. It's ready to go. And just keep a light on over there. I may not, I may not feel like coming to see you. We may not talk for the days that you're here, but just keep a light on over there because I just need to know that somebody's there. There's somebody, there's a physical representation that I can go there if I need you. May not happen. And they said, sure. They just kept going, went up there. And I think through the story, I think he said they were able to, to talk a little bit in that window of time. Um, and as a part of this episode, they had a, um, 
a lady on named Amy who had, uh, in the last couple of years, lost her husband, kind of in a tragic way. And actually, I knew him a little bit from afar. He was kind of a long, long-distance mentor to me, and um, he was actually one of the ones who kind of um, gave me the, the, the confidence to plant this church. So I was really interested in her story and how she's handled all this. And, and she gave some really helpful tips. Um, she said that when someone's hurting, the worst thing you can do is give them more decisions to make. And this is what we often do, right? I do it. I'm guilty of it. Hey, how can I help you? Tell us what you need. When someone is in the throes of pain and lament and it's raw, they don't need enough. That's more weight you're putting on them to make decisions that they just can't make. So she said, for her, this was a better thing. One way to do it is, hey, I'm going to do your laundry unless you tell me no. I'm coming over to get it. Just tell me no if you don't want it. Now it's a yes or no decision. And it, it, the, it's a very clean conversation, not a lot of weight. Um, or, hey, I'm going to bring you food tonight unless you tell me no. And then go make the food and bring it, unless there's a no there. Um, right, or, um, yeah, the, the other thing she said is, um, don't ask or don't tell me. Let, let me know if there's anything we can do to help. Um, that, that makes an over, a, a person who's already overwhelmed tired and more overwhelmed. Um, another way to do this, she said, is give options, like three options. And the last one's kind of the, the way out, so to speak. She says, um, I, can, I can come sit with you or I can come bring you food or I can check in next week, right? So you've given them two practical ways to help, one just the physical presence, one something done for them, and then the third one is, hey, this gives them an out to say no, and then you're checking back next week because you've told them you're gonna do that, but you're giving them space in the moment to kind of breathe and let stuff rest if they just don't wanna see anybody right now. Okay, then I'm gonna check back next week. Or it's like a simple option. Do you need me to come sit with you more or do you need food more? And it takes the decision-making off. Well, just come over. Okay, I'll be there. Right? There's not this, hey, let me know if you need anything. Again, we do that at, a, I think, good intentions, but that is often not helpful. And also human nature is we want to say something. We feel awkward and uncomfortable in those moments, hopefully becoming more familiar with lament. We'll take a little bit of that off. But the easiest thing to do if you don't want to try to go through what you're going to say is just give them a hug and say, I'm sorry. It's it, and then walk away. That may be in the moment the best thing to do if you don't know what to say. You know, we must learn this language of lament, to come alongside people in their pain and be open to sharing our pain and being taken care of by the church. We need to make room to practice lament because there are other benefits as well, right, than just like helping one another heal. Right? Paul responds to his op- opponents in 2 Corinthians and saying that suffering actually displays God's glory in another part. And if we see over and over in the scriptures that God using weak people to bring about his purposes. And so when we're going through pain, our natural instinct is to pull away from responsibility. And, and, and there's probably some wisdom in the short run in doing that. But don't forget that God wants to use us. God wants to use our pain. God wants, wants us to minister to others and lead others in our pain. So yes, there's some wisdom in waiting but not going into a hole for so long that God can't use you. And I think there's some healing and blessing as you do that. Don't be afraid to step into responsibility even when you're suffering because God can show up there. He uses the weak. He uses the broken to minister to the rest of us. 
Also, I sent last week a, a, a little bit of a lamenting practice and exercise to gospel communities to walk through together. Um, it's a great way to, thing to do on your own, too. So talk to your gospel community leader if you want to um, get that or, or uh, maybe try that together with some other people. Um, and I should say for clarity um, that walking with others in our pain might not be enough. It might not be enough. Like, I'm, I'm focusing on that, but you may need counseling. You probably do. We've been through counseling, Nicole and I have, based on just all of the junk that we've walked through with, with trying to have kids. We've been to counseling, right? Maybe medication should be a short-term option for you to get you over the hump. It's okay. But we have to start with caring for another, one another well, aside from those other things, right? This happens no matter what. Those other things may need to happen too. I'm going to conclude with this. Imagine, just imagine, what would it look like if we were the kind of church, and other churches as well, loved others inside and outside the church the way Nicole and I were loved? What impact would it make? We talk about being missional. We talk about preaching the gospel. But how, how much further would that go if we just loved people well in their pain? I think it would open up God's pathway to healing and his grace and his mercy would be felt by others at a much deeper level if we loved one another well. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you want us to lament. We talked about last week, you want us to bring our junk to you like a good father. You want us to bring that stuff. You're most tender to us. You're most receptive to us when we're humble and when we're in pain. What good father would not want to scoop their kids up and hold them when they need, when they need, need their father and mother, mother or their mother and they're in pain? And we're, 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 we're not perfect. You are perfect. So I pray that we would run to you first, that we would go to you in our pain, that you would equip us through your spirit and the gospel to be people who love people well and also that we allow people to love us well when we're suffering. Help us, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.